Hello, hello. This is the England Athletics Podcast. Joining me is Jonah Efaloko, a sprinter who's risen through the ranks right from winning England under-15 gold eight years ago to the 2018 World Junior 200m title in 20.48 seconds and now to the top step of the Commonwealth Games podium this past summer in the relay. That'll lead us nicely on to Sarah Benson, who's just taken on the role as Head of Talent Development, overseeing that kind of athlete journey. First of all, Jonah Efaloko. I guess the beauty of having three big championships in one year is that you're now Commonwealth Champion, the European Champion and a World Medalist. Have you needed some time to let that sink in? Yeah, 100%. Like you said, three championships, three opportunities. It was definitely a goal and I had to go to each one and potentially medal in each one. And to have done so is definitely a great achievement when you reflect on it, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you'd had a great junior career, hadn't you? European under-18 gold, world under-20 champion as well. What did you learn among some of those early team experiences where maybe you didn't quite know what the environment was like of a championship like that? I think the biggest thing I learned from those environments is as long as you're there, you can definitely come out and, and win, essentially, you can come out and medal. Because I think if I look at each championship, I didn't arrive there as the favourite and the guy to watch out for, but I came out with a medal in each one. So I think it definitely just gave me that mindset of when I'm there, like, don't count yourself out and be ready because you never know what's going to happen. You've been at international championship, you've learned, you put like the core room, the settings, the intensity of it, everybody's watching. So I think that's the things that it's taught me. But I think the biggest thing is if you're there, like you're good enough to win it. There's a story particularly you told around the European under 20s that it was a bit of a crazy year. I think your fall started the national championships yeah. and then you, you had an injury come <laughs> the actual event. Just take me back to that time because that's, in a funny way, it's a great time to go through a bit of a challenge like that. So just take me through what happened that year. Yeah, that's a great memory, actually, that you remember that. That's crazy. Well, yeah, that's a throwback. Yeah, so that year, 2017? Yeah. You know, I remember that year, I got the standard for European under-20s. So that was, then it was just trials. Come top two and selection guaranteed. The heats were, it was usually kind of relaxed. All started now. It's like, oh my goodness, what happened? <laughs> nah, I couldn't believe it. But you know what? It was that week was just one of those weeks where everything was going wrong. My first year in A levels, and that didn't go well. We had exams that week, and that didn't go well. So then championship came, and I full started, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is probably one of the worst weeks ever. And then it, it didn't look like I was going to go to European in the twenties, but then I think something happened with person who they picked I think he got ill they then selected me when I went there I felt good got through the heat and then the semi-final I remember the first two steps I sort of stumbled and I aggravated like an injury that I had for a while like it was like IT linked to my knee and like part of my calf that was just painful and I just made it through and then literally between the semi and the final, I was just on the physio bed. And they were giving me acupuncture, going through my leg, telling me to do run outs. And it didn't feel great, I'll be honest. A lot of things were going in my mind, like, what's going on? Like, I've come all this way here and I'm, and I'm not going to run. But I think just because I'd gone through so much, I just said, you know what, like, I have to go on the track. Let me go out. But if I stop, at least I've tried. 
And honestly, it was just pure adrenaline carried me through that race. Coming with a silver medal, it was, just, it was crazy because even the next day, my leg was finished. They had to pull me out the relay because my leg just couldn't handle it. And I think it was just the mindset of I've overcome so much to get to this point. I can't just give up now because if I had not run, I could have just thought, what if? What if I had just gone and do it and my leg stopped working? At least I could say I tried. Yeah, I think Leon Baptiste came to you and said, you know, Jonah, do you know if you're going to run? And he, that maybe crystallised in your mind at, at that point. But it's hard to tell sometimes with an injury whether it's something that you should actually push past the pain in or not, isn't it? That's so true. Um, I've been fortunate enough mm. to have really had any serious injuries or until this year, actually. I think this year was the first time I had an injury. I think it was the beginning of the year. Um, I ended up pulling my adductor out of nowhere. I think it set me back four weeks. But I would say um, that experience, it has taught me, like, for example, like during training and stuff, not to always push it. I think sometimes you can be in your mind, you can be thinking, oh, I feel a little niggle, but I need to finish these last two reps. But, you know, sometimes it's okay. Training, not pushing it too much, being sensible, understanding your body. But, yeah, there's definitely a fine line between it. And I think it's also speaking to the people around you because going back to... The reason why I felt like I could make that decision was because the physios were reassuring that it wasn't something too, too serious. So that's why they still gave me the opportunity to pick whether I should run or not. But of course, if they turned around and said, no, it's too risky, don't run, then I wouldn't have run. So going on one step further to uh, the world under 20s in 2018, then it all kind of went perfectly in a way. British won two as well with Charlie Dobson, someone who um, has also had a great season. So the time you ran as well, that really got people <laughs> remembering your name as well, because it was right up there with the likes of, you know, Adam Jamili's times as a junior. It was a great year in a whole. And you mentioned Charlie, that was really the first year where I had someone really, really pushing me, my age group. That was the first real year where I had somebody actually better than me, because throughout the whole season, he was actually running quicker than me. Um, I think he was running at 20.7s, I was running 8s. And it was really good. It was a really great motivator because each session I had like a goal. I had like somebody to chase. I was chasing somebody. And I remember we had a great battle at the under 20 championships. That was honestly one of my favorite races, just head to head, head to head. In my mind, I don't know why, but I just felt like I wasn't leaving there with anything other than like a, like a goal, actually. Especially after the heats and the semis, I felt really, really good running PB, 3.6 and 3.7. They were very, very comfortable. So all I knew was as long as I was to execute, and I just felt like nobody was going to like beat me. So if you're mentally strong and you're mentally confident in what you can achieve, then you can definitely do it. Yeah. So after that point, you moved uh, to London, I believe, for uni, having grown up in Manchester, faced with the fact that everything is more expensive and everything takes ages to get anywhere <laughs> yeah London is expensive and big so different to Manchester yeah it took a while to get used to but essentially you know we, we fast forward let's say to this year you mentioned there the injury actually so it's interesting that you recovered from that injury in time to play a, a major part coming into the season I guess you knew you were part of the relay squads but actually, I suppose there was a point at which you must have been training well and looking good and they decided, let's give Jonah Afaloko, you know, some responsibility. So just talk me through that. World Championships was a roller coaster of emotions. 
I wasn't selected to run in the heat. So first it was like disappointment because I felt like I was I was in good enough shape, even you know coming back from injury, coming back to trials, coming forth. But of course, the team comes first, and I was there for the guys, cheered them on in the heat. Then I remember day of the final, we still didn't know what the team was. Personally, I thought it was going to be the team for the heat. And then we were in a meeting, probably like three, four hours, four hours, I'd say, before we were going to go to the track. And then they announced that I was going to run. Yeah, it was just, again, a sea of emotions. Like, I really just had to switch on, be ready. I think, first of all, I was grateful that they they trusted in me in such a big stage final of the World Championship. You know, the biggest stage next to the Olympics. Coming out of that meeting, the first thing I did, I just went to bed. <laughs> I just went to bed. I said, okay, I need to nap. I need to just clear my mind. So at least you went to bed, nap for a bit. Can't have been that easy to nap, get a clean nap in at that point. No, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I didn't nap straight away. But after a while, I'm like, yeah, okay, I need to sleep. I need to sleep. I need to sleep. But honestly, I was, that has to be the most nerve-wracking competition I've ever competed in. You know, you got the lies of Christian Coleman, Noah Lowes. Johan, like the big guys that you grew up watching TV and then you're there amongst them. Like my first senior competition and it's the final. And I'm also leading off the Great Britain team. So it was like, oof, okay, this is the big responsibility. But honestly, I just want to say big thanks to the guys, Nathaniel, Maurice, Zarnell. You know, they were very supportive of, of me. They just kept reassuring me, reassuring me that, you know, I was good enough. They believed in me. You know, that helped take the weight off my shoulder. Once you step out on the track, I think once I saw that, once I stepped out on the track, it was as if it just all went. It was just strictly business. It was as if the nerves were just gone and it was just like, I'm here now. Let's, let's get it. But I think World Championship really taught me the importance of in the group, playing like the guys who say like, stay ready so you don't need to get ready. Because in my mind, if I'd thought, okay, I'm not going to run, I could have just, I don't know, just gone wild or went to bed late, eight days, da, 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 da. but then they would have picked me to run and I would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm not prepared. But because in my mind, I was just like, okay, let me just stay ready because you never know what's going to happen. When they gave me the opportunity, I was ready to take it. Incredible stuff, yeah. What was the reaction then of your friends, family? I, I don't know whether you text people saying like, oh, guess what, I'm running the final. Judging by what you said, you probably didn't. No, I did, I did, I did. Oh, you did? I did, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they were really happy. They stayed up to watch because it was like yeah. 3 a.m. UK time. So like, I know all my family gathered together to watch. They sent me videos. No, it was an amazing, amazing moment like, for myself and also like for them. Yeah, because you've gone halfway across the world. And, you know, once you've had that taste at the World Championships, I imagine you want more of it at the Commonwealth Games. How special was that? Commonwealth Games was the best stadium I've ever been in. I've never seen a stadium so packed for athletics, but consistently. Consistent. I remember watching the first day and I was like, oh, wow, this is actually packed. When we competed, it was just, it was surreal. I think in football, they say that the 12th man, home crowds just gives you the extra boost. I understand that now because when we were on the track, it was just like, come on, England, come on, come on, come on. Coming away with a gold in front of the home crowd. Yeah, it just gave you the extra boost. It was deafening. It was deafening. I think I was speaking to Zarnell, like when we were saying hang. It was so loud that you couldn't really hear it. I've never experienced anything like that. And unless there's another championship 
at home, which I can go. I don't think I ever will. Wow, extraordinary. Yeah. Your coach is Clarence Callender, right? Yes. In winning, you you emulated him winning Commonwealth Gold in 1990 with a what a team with uh, Linford Christie and, and John Regis as well and, and Marcus Adam. I might as well mention them all. That's quite special in itself, I guess. Yes, yes. Uh, he, he always tells me, but I've still got a long way to go to catch up to what he's achieved. So I'm getting there. I'm slowly getting there. But now having someone like Clarence as a coach is great because not only has he achieved great things as a coach, he's achieved great things as an athlete. He's been in the situation I've been in, so he can give me great advice on how we felt, how we coped with it. Uh, me and Clarence really have a great relationship where we can communicate really, really well. So I'm very grateful to have him on my side. He was part of like, the England staff during the Commonwealth Games. So having your coach there was also really, really good. I owe a lot of thanks to him for everything that he's done. So we come on to the Europeans now, and actually you're put not on the first leg starting off, but in between. Maybe more trust by this point that you can play a different role within the team, or does it actually not make a huge difference? doesn't make much of a difference because, well, for me personally, one, I'd actually run third before. So during the junior stages, that was my, my leg. Like I'd run third leg, so I was quite comfortable in that leg. It does show that. They, they trust me. They trust me to be versatile enough. Like one of my goals for relay is always has always been to be versatile enough to actually run all four legs eventually. Not by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Unless you want like a 40-something relay, which is a little quick. No, no, no. But it does pose like a bit more pressure because think about running first. Like once you pass the baton, it's like, okay, I can... Not relax, but it's like, okay, I've done what I needed to do. But with this one, it's like, you're watching it, like you need to go off, you need to receive, and you need to also pass. So it's like two things to work on. It's just about working to the strength of the team, which person would suit which position the best. You must have built really good camaraderie as a squad and, and friendships and stuff. What's that been like? No, it's been great. It's been great. Right from the early beginnings, we did like bonding earlier this year. We really got to know each other well. You know, we play different games. You won't know, but games called I Can See the Moon, like <laughs> just these crazy random games like that Harry has. So it was really, really fun. Even though we're people of different ages, different backgrounds, people like me and Jeremiah, we would sort of watch the guys growing up. And I always say, no, this is crazy. Like I would watch you when I was young, look up to you. But now you know, we're sharing a room together. I'm getting to know you. Our training sessions. Of course, it's serious, but, you know, it's also fun. You know, we like music, we like dance, we like to do all these different things. Put out the Afro beats. you got Harry dancing, you got Jeremiah, you got me dancing. So, no, yeah, it's fun, it's fun. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward, you know, you've been a successful member of the Relay team. You want to try and establish yourself individually over the next couple of years, won't you? That seems like the obvious thought, doesn't it? Are there any particular ways in which you want to do that, such as... 200 metres was the event in which you won the, the world junior title, but reasonable success over 100 as well. Yeah, I would say 200. It's my, my baby, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely more comfortable. I'm just, yeah, there's something about that band that I just love. Ultimate goal, I would definitely say, is to be able to do well in both events, 100 and 200. Um, Clarence always says we're sprinters. We're not just 200 metre runners, we're sprinters. 100, 200. He says 400, but no, I'm not. No, 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 no. Well, Charlie Dobson's got up to 400, but you know. I'd leave that to Charlie. That's that's not for me. Too far, isn't it? <laughs> 100, 200 is definitely the goal for me, like individually. Um, just take it step by step. You know, next year, another world championship. We'll see how it goes. 
And to round off, seem as you mentioned the twelfth man as a footballing analogy. I know you're a Man United fan, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Right. So give us the verdict on United, because uh, I mean Ronaldo's a bit slow these days. Perhaps they could use your pace. Come on, yeah. You know, United. Just hit me up on Instagram if you want to give me a couple of trials. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> mind. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, United. United started off the season, and it was like, oh my gosh, we're in for another one. But I think the manager's starting to like get his um philosophy in. We're starting to play a lot better. Uh, the Arsenal game was the real turnaround. Then, of course, we lost in the Europa League afterwards. I, okay, I don't think we'll change the likes of City, but definitely think top four is doable, which I didn't think it would be after our first two games. So it's been a bit of a turnaround. I think in a few years, hopefully, back to where we belong. Did you play football to any point? Because I know Jeremiah Azu, he did. I was first to admit I was never that good at football. I was just quick. No technique, no touch, no control, no pass, no shot. They put me at the back, so like any through balls, I just get it. But I think I was I was quick enough to admit that. <laughs> I didn't tell myself false dreams that maybe I could make a dream out of it. I was quick enough to accept it. So then I focused on athletics and also did rugby as well. That's good because, I mean, it was, it was said recently, actually, some young people might be part of footballing academies. They might not realise that actually they have talent in other sports. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, I think it's difficult. You definitely want to chase your dream. If you believe that you can do it, it's very hard to just switch away from it. Um, I think for myself, I never really believed I could be a footballer, so I think it was quite easy for me. Brilliant. Well, we know athletics is your talent. Great to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Brilliant stuff from Jonah, who I remember winning the under-17 title for Sale Harriers in 2016 in Bedford with England Athletics. Always a great place to see the future stars first. Nice to hear of his success in transitioning from junior to senior competitions as well. That takes me on to Sarah Benson, former steeplechaser, who's taken over the reins in supporting athletes and coaches as head of talent development and has had a fascinating few years. She'll share with you her vision and advice, but first, here's how she got into the sport. I started the sport around about 10 years old, won a local cross-country race and the coach was standing there at the end of the race with a flyer to come down to the athletics club. So that sparked going down a couple of times a week, very quickly joining the endurance group, training there a couple of times a week with league matches and some local competition. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So socially, it brought me new friends. And the trips and the experiences that you get through that sport are just are just so, so valuable. You don't really realise, I think, until you get older and you reflect back on, on those times. But then as I reached the teenage years, I struggled, if I'm honest. I struggled through maturation, through puberty. I picked up a lot of injuries and ultimately ended up dropping out of the sport when I was about 17. Just coming back from those injuries while kind of trying to get through, navigate uh, exams and just, you know, peer pressure and everything. It, it was a really, really challenging time. And I think, again, that's influenced a lot of my understanding of talent development, particularly for those teenage years. It's, it's a hard time to try and get through and be an athlete at the same time. But ultimately, I ended up quitting the sport. It was around about that time uh, transitioning into university and had very little involvement in athletics, absolutely none, if I'm honest, for the first couple of years at university. What would be your advice to teenagers who've been competing for a few years, 
because you have all those elements you talked about, the stresses, the things to negotiate. Just casting your eye back to when you were that age, what would be your thoughts going towards athletes in their teenage years? It's, you know, it's developing a really, really clear strategy. And so my, I mean, my situation may not be the same for every single person, but I certainly feel that, you know, a better understanding of, from the coaching of what was happening. So physically, why was I not progressing? My body was changing. I wasn't running as fast. More from a kind of coaching knowledge, what could have supported me through those tricky kind of maturation years. You know, I've often wondered whether there's like a, a need for a buffer for those, you know, those years where athletes are struggling and they're, they're transitioning through different um, periods. So almost like a competition buffer where you can potentially compete or stay connected to the sport, but less competitively or less performance focused where we we're retaining, but we're focusing much more on the social aspect, the enjoyment of the sport. And as a coach now, working with under 15, under 17 athletes, I genuinely feel my number one goal as a volunteer coach within a club is to make sure they're still doing the sport by the time they're 20, 25. And even if it's just a weekly park run or a little bit of representation through the cross-country season, to me, I think I would have achieved something as a coach. Now, hopefully off the back of that, some of them will progress and then move on into being elite athletes what I would like to achieve with every single athlete that I coach at the moment is they have such a positive interaction with the sport that it remains as a lifelong hobby, passion, whatever, at any level that they want to stay connected to it. They might be the next generation of elite performance athletes, but they're also very likely to be the next generation of parents bringing their athletes to the sport, bringing their children to the sport. They're the next generation of officials. They're the next generation of coaches. And that all stems from having a positive interaction in the sport. And that's exactly the same in my case. What has ultimately kept me in this sport that I'm trying to hopefully influence and develop moving forward. So I think that dropout thing is really just trying to work out, you know, what what does that group of athletes need as they're transitioning through these hard years just to retain them? step back from maybe a a bit more pressure for you know the constant competition and what does that look like for that group of athletes that retains them in the sport I started my university career in PE teaching and then quickly found I actually wanted to work more in the, the performance side of sport Decided to pick up athletics again just in my kind of final year of university uh, just with the club and again socially it gave me great experiences, new friendships. I did okay as a a club level kind of university recreational athlete. I went on to do a master's as well so in sports science and strength and conditioning. Then I picked up my first full-time role as a talent scientist, similarly helping sports understand their pathway systems understand the environments that they were developing athletes in, understanding maturation, adolescence. It was just a fascinating area. There's so many different factors that influence talent development from not only the environment that kids are working in, but right through to the sort of psychology, the language that coaches use, understanding, you know, the genetic aspects versus the environmental aspects. 
that's probably where my journey as an athlete is less traditional because I was competing, as I say, as a okay club level, earning some points from the club. And I remember having quite a, a key moment. I think I was probably racing in about an, an E race, BMC. And the commentator described me as a useful club athlete over the last 100 metres. And it stuck with me because I thought, I don't really want to be a useful club athlete. <laughs> I want to be a good athlete. And so I started applying a lot of what I was learning through my work about talent and how to develop into being a successful athlete. What, what are the key characteristics, the attributes that elite world-class performers have and applying that to my own training almost as a bit of a project more than anything just to see if if this was real <laughs> and it worked so I changed coach I moved city I changed my environment I changed my mindset and working with my new coach we had a look at sort of my I guess my strengths physically as an athlete and we made the decision to switch to steeplechase now this was I must have been 26, 27 at this point. And so learning a new skill of hurdling at that kind of age, just to see what I could get out of myself as an athlete and really try and just maximize my own potential. It started to work. I started running faster. My coach and I looked at a, a bit of a three, probably three, four year plan to see if Glasgow Commonwealth Games would be realistic and put that together but I did it all I did everything I possibly could I did the training camps I did altitude I went around the world I raced gave it everything and I kind of just fell short just before selection picked up an injury in the final weeks um, and unfortunately wasn't selected that was the point where I mentally was very tired even though I was running my fastest times at that point and ready to to step back from that level of commitment you know, it's hard when you're doing a lot of it self-funded. And that was a point that I retired from the sport. But that whole process, I think, of really just applying my own knowledge of what it takes to be an elite athlete, I think has just been incredibly sort of valuable learning. Just picking up on, on something you said, you mentioned something about the balance between genetic and the environment. How would you sum that up? Just exploring that topic more, how would you elaborate on the difference between the two and how they complement each other? genes are important but it's ultimately what you do with it there's examples of, of people I would say who who match sage and the the genetic profile of Jamaican sprinters or Kenyan distance runners but they do nothing with it they sit in front of the tv so they're never going to be the next world champion if they suddenly start running tomorrow so so that combination of how you influence what you've been given at birth is important but the environment is the most essential factor in talent development. How you influence kids who come through the pathway in the day-to-day -day club environment with their coach, the language that's used to support them, the pathway that they're on, as well as obviously their physical training plan that they're given at that point, that it's age and stage appropriate. We're guiding and advising athletes into the right event groups. That's, I think, the most important factor when it comes to genes versus the environment is what you do with it and how you influence it. It's really fascinating. Yeah, no, a fair point there about sitting in front of the TV. You're not going to maximise your potential, are you? So most recently, you've been involved with UK Athletics. You've had a Paralympic management role 
being part of the Paralympic Games in Tokyo and, and also seeing some of those talents come to fruition. Just describe to me the role and some of the greatest moments you had. Um, so the day-to-day -day job within the Paralympic programme was managing the pathway. So from the point when we start to identify potential in athletes, right through to that point where they're, they're ready for the world-class programme to move through. So a series of talent programmes to support and develop the athletes and support the coach as well in their own learning from setting them up with mentors and helping them understand what that journey could look like for the athlete that they're working with too. Where do they need support? Where do they need help? What's it going to take for you to make a Paralympic team or what's it going to take for you to win a Paralympic medal? How are you then going to break that down and improve by 50 centimetres a year or half a second per year in order to achieve the standards that are required and alongside that, complementing it with some of the other services like performance lifestyles, so helping athletes to navigate through those key transition points, whether it's moving to university, whether it's leaving university, you know, you might be self-funded. What does that look like? The travel, the work, all of these things that a lot of athletes who are not necessarily either professional contracts or are on world-class program yet, how do they then continue their own progress psychological skills as well mindset managing that high pressure situation when they need to race alongside nutrition sleep the physical preparation that's all part of the programs to complement that day-to-day -day training that the coach um, is setting essentially and it's been incredibly rewarding just you know working with athletes through the pathway over the last five years going on to see them compete in Tokyo and win medals what were some of the highlights that you remember from Tokyo? Perhaps some of the emotions that were seen from certain athletes to have reached that top step? The greatest thing was seeing how well those athletes coped in that environment. It was so challenging. There was no crowd. We were away from home for three, three and a half weeks. We were asking a lot of those athletes, you know, they couldn't have personal coaches. They couldn't have any family there at all. So. They were reliant on their teammates and the staff that were there and they thrived. They just fitted in with the team culture. I genuinely like to believe that's because of the work and the education that we've put in on those coping skills. Moving forward to this year, Hannah Cockcroft was, she was emotional to actually have her event included for the first time at the Commonwealth Games, you know, and obviously to be successful as well. But, you know, it's something that England athletics have tried to include more para events within the national championships as well we've seen frame running in the last few years in which world records were broken in fact in rainy conditions in manchester what have you made of the push to to have more inclusion and how has it been received what more do we still have to do do you think england athletics have been really central to the, the competition side of things and that competition opportunity para athletics has no separate pathway we use the same club structure we use the same in many cases the same coaching groups and environments you know over the last kind of four five six years moving towards the same competition structure calendar more inclusivity is really really important it's trying to make parasport more visible across the pathway too now of course when you obviously get up to paralympic level and olympic level there are separate championships but for me i think the commonwealth games is such an important event and it was so well received 
that there were para athletes included. Those athletes were part of Team England. They were part of the Scottish, the Welsh, and Northern Irish home nation teams as well. The athletes felt that they really felt like they were part of an overall team. Even just trying to kind of constantly push for equality is something that we need to do more of. Making sure that from top to bottom, from the day that an athlete enters an, an, a, a club, inclusion is there, regardless of whether it, it's gender, ethnicity, it's background, culture, disability, whatever it is. Athletics is such an accessible sport that there shouldn't be any barriers to being able to access it. So on to inclusion of a different kind. How important is it to have female representation at the top level of the sport? Really important. The sport of athletics is obviously 50-50 male-female split. So it's important, I think, for them to have representation across the staff as well. There's a bigger challenge with growing the number of women coaches. And quite often, the pathway for achieving a team coach role at the championships, at games, you know, at a major competition is from having been a personal coach to athletes at certain levels through the pathway. So the two for me go hand in hand, and it's about how can we grow and support and create opportunities earlier in the pathway for women coaches to develop as a coach and to move into the talent space, move into the performance space, and then ultimately uh, move into the team coaching role. You know, at the end of the day, whether it's as a volunteer coach, team coach, they are role models for their sport. And, And athletes, as they come out of the sport, are looking to know What's next for me? How can I stay connected to this sport? And if they're not seeing women coaches or they're not seeing other people like them, they're probably going to be discouraged from wanting to follow that path as well. We've seen over the last couple of years, pregnant athletes have been supported with with funding. There's been a lot more uh, emphasis, uh, partly on a kind of post-baby PB and returning to the sport after childbirth, giving women that choice. And also some conversations around menstrual cycles and the effect on competing Elish McColgan, Dina Asher-Smith, Amy Pratt have all spoken about that recently. Conversations that we need to have, aren't there, just to break the ice on these subjects and make sure that we are keeping them on the agenda. We need to normalise these conversations with staff, with coaching. Menstrual cycle and periods will influence how the training and the development of an athlete goes. So as you get through the pathway and then you're starting to break into that elite world we have to have a better understanding of how the menstrual cycle will impact on athletes you know we have got athletes who quite often their career their job is based upon their performance outcomes their performance outcomes will be based on where they are on the monthly cycle and how can we use latest science research understanding on how to influence that for them personally as well so we've started a lot of this work already through the pathway is bringing in real experts in this in this area of, of female athlete health to work with coaches and just break down I guess some of the stigma fear of not wanting to speak about any of these these areas at all with female athletes having open conversations so people don't feel uncomfortable about any of these subjects as well what are your hopes and aspirations as, as head of talent development? It's a big role. Moving in from para, I have a good understanding of inclusion, but I want to understand each of the event groups, the strategies, the gaps through the pathway, and how we can develop in certain event groups 
where we've got less representation of athletes. The role itself covers the talent pathway. So within that, we've got the youth talent program. We've got the junior talent program supporting the next group of young athletes who are starting to show some potential. The senior England program itself off the back of obviously the Commonwealth Games. You know, what does that look like now as we review and we build over the next four years? The role will also cover competitions, supporting our competitions team with fixtures planning and all of our competition partners to ensure, again, that there's a really clear pathway for athletes around competition. You know, what, where should they be competing? How often? And, and all of these factors. And then also coaching as well. So coach development, just getting out and listening and talking to people, you know, people who are working out on the ground doing this day in, day out and understanding, I guess, the challenges that people are facing within particularly the volunteer coaching workforce. They are the heart of this sport. They are doing all the work day to day. I suppose special consideration is needed when we come to specialist events. I know we've already talked about para, but events that can require other equipment and specialist knowledge. You don't have a, a hammer coach in every club in the country, for example. Absolutely. And I think that's where it's, it's, you know, identifying through our pathway, where are the gaps in the athletes now? And why is that happening? Is it because of lack of facilities, lack of coaches, lack of competition opportunities, and really, really nailing down what that strategy is for that particular event group that we can then influence and support? Do we invest in better competition environments, more coach development we create mentoring opportunities where we can bring in more expertise into certain event groups as well gaining a deeper understanding of of the why why are these not developing and using the expertise that we have to try and see if we can influence some really i think exciting projects to see if we can kind of grow and develop um, certain areas of the sport that are not thriving as much as others brilliant well it's been great to talk to you sarah to hear about your background as an athlete coach and all of the roles that you've had in performance sport and and how you applied that to your own career and more recently to some of the athletes that you've been involved with and uh, wish you all the best of luck thank you very much thanks to jonah and sarah for being involved in our latest podcast that's it for this month but please do check out our social channels and website to keep across the latest